Well, in Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on February 22nd, 2021. And yes, as part of today's folks, we are definitely going to talk about the big reveal on this past Friday's episode of WandaVision. Wait, there was a reveal? Something happened? What was it? Let's talk about it now. (laughs) Why make me wait past the commercial break? Oh, damn you, Scrooge. (laughs) Uh, Well, face it, we have been all waiting for Friday for these past six weeks or so. And so we've got two episodes left at this point. It appears to be the case. I don't know what they're going to put in them. But it better be a lot. One of the things I enjoy so much about WandaVision is I'm an old fart. I have seen a lot of television. I have seen a lot of movies. I have read a lot of books and plays. So I can typically 10 or 15 minutes into something. Okay, he did it. And everything else is then misdirection at this point. And with mm-hmm. WandaVision, I have no idea where this is going to go. And that's that's really kind of delightful to me. To, to, it's like... I really don't know where this goes from here. But we need to do sort of a correction, Aaron, kind of. Um, yeah, well, I mean, nine out of ten things we say are true. The one <laughs> thing that's false is up to the audience to figure out. And one of our audience members was kind enough to go, Blasphemer, you're incorrect, sir. <laughs> well, but, but here's the thing. You weren't really. Uh, on our last episode, Aaron shared a great story about how uh, in episode five of WandaVision, uh, the one entitled on a very special episode, that's the one where we got that surveillance footage that was shot of multiple angles of Wanda breaking into a sword facility. And we saw a technician studying Vision's corpse uh, as they're trying to learn the, the secret of how to, the synthoid works. And the story that, that Aaron shared was that this footage had been recycled from Avengers Endgame. And I want to point out that Mr. Adam Soros on this was Paul Bettany himself, the actor who played Vision. January 21st of this year, he did an interview with Newsweek magazine, and Paul talked about a scene he shot back in 2018, which was supposed to be the post-credit stinger for Endgame. Here's the specific quote from Paul. At one point, there was going to be this tag where Wanda opened a a sort of body bag drawer and there was Vision. And Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige later came to me and and, and talked to me and said, I got to pull the shot. And and so Paul was like, you know, because I really wanted that profit participation. You know, he wasn't in Endgame except for this one little scene. So, you know, that, that meant he wouldn't get his check. Evidently, the reason Feige pulled this Wanda Finds Vision body in the morgue scene prior to Endgame's release, and by the way, think about this, Aaron, what what a bookend that would have been for the credits to go from Steve Rogers finally reuniting with Agent Carter. And then Wanda reuniting with Vision. No, sir, I wouldn't like it. Not one bit. Well, I'm I'm my, you, you give me a nice, tall, cold glass of American milk, and then it curdles right before uh, your very eyes. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. exactly what happens there in that transition of a scene. Captain America finds his true love, and then elsewhere, Wanda <laughs> reclaims her love. Yeah. Ooh. So, Thanks for so, showing up, kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well. anyway, that, that okay. So, again, this was shot as they were cutting together Endgame. Decision was made that, that to not put this post-credit stinger in there. But they were already talking about doing these limited series 
for Disney Plus. And they had this scene that was an incredible jumping off point for some sort of Wanda and Vision related story. So the scene, it gets reshot from multiple angles to sell the idea that, you know, here we have a, you know, a record on security cameras of, of Wanda breaking into the sword facility and, and then stealing the Vision's corpse. So again, Aaron was right. Kind of. Partially. Using the Obi-Wan logic in a certain point of view. Yeah, you know. But that said, we do appreciate we had a, a source who was working down in Atlanta on the actual WandaVision shoot who gave us the the real information about what happened and how this footage was done. And, and, and we thanked them for reaching out. It was a great story. Thank you, Kevin Feige, for reaching out. <laughs> Because he follows us on Twitter, right? That's that's his main source of Marvel news is us. I, I thought it was Mrs. Feige. Oh, is, that's right. That's right. That's not Kant's Discord at, at Kevin's home. Okay. Uh, before we leap into the news here, folks, just want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of Marvelous Disney Podcasts. Uh, for a worry-free travel experience, be sure and book online at Storybook Destinations. Okay, so we're just talking about Marvel movies, TV shows that are shot in and around Atlanta. Aaron, can you believe it? Spider something, three, home, whatever. Like, what, what are you calling it now? Let's see. We've got uh, Home Run, which okay. would be, you know, run, running back home. I don't think there's mm. any sports relation to it. So we'll move mm. on to uh, quarantining at home. But oh. we're hoping that uh, that will have passed by the time Spidey comes mm-hmm. out. So we only need one mask, just a spider mask, not a additional face mask <laughs> on top of that. Okay. But again, the spider something, home three, whatever it's called, has been shooting at Trilit Studios, formerly Pinewood Atlanta Studios, since October of last year. And you'd think this John Watts movie has a locked-in, solid December 21st, 2021 release date. And it's heavy effects picture. So you, you think they'd have wrapped production by now, but, but that's where you'd be wrong. They are still shooting. In fact, if you live south of Atlanta and would like to go audition to be an extra in this movie, they are looking for males and females ages 18 to 60, I'm one of them. Well, th- th- now you have to be a business professional. Oh. Or look like a business professional. I have a briefcase in the closet. Okay. Well, then you <laughs> you need to get to Fayetteville, Georgia. More to the point, you need to bring some black coffee with you because this will be an overnight shoot, a fairly lengthy overnight shoot, by the way. They are going to start shooting this coming weekend, Saturday and Sunday, February 27th and 28th. There will then be a break for a few days, and then starting on Wednesday, March 3rd, and then going to Monday, March 8th, six nights of, of night shoots, evidently some sort of a big action set piece. And then finally, they're going they're asking everyone who agreed to be an extra for the scene to come back on March uh, Sunday, March 14th uh, for pickup shots. You know, Jim, if, if you could just read this like uh, Don Pardo back in the 60s and make it sound like the winnings of a game show, you'll get to stay in Atlanta, Georgia, Wednesday, March 3rd through March 8th for a six-day-long shoot in beautiful downtown Atlanta. Then come back for glorious pickup shots where you get to do that all over again because we forgot something. 
Right? That sounds so much better. Well, well no, no, be sure to include the part where, in addition with your costume fitting, you, you get your complimentary COVID test. In fact, sure. you know, anybody Why don't they just give you a shot? The they should, no, you should just get a shot. Like, you, you, if you don't have your COVID ticket of, I got vaccinated, then you get in that line, and we give you a shot in the arm, and you go sit in a tent for a couple days. By the way, if you do not look like a business professional, if you're a male or a female, 18 to 25, the very last scheduled day of shooting on Spider Something 3, Sunday, March 20th, that's when they're shooting the high school scenes? Wait a minute. He's still in high school? Well, We, we haven't moved him on into college yet? I don't know what to tell you. I mean, more to the point, the fact that they're only shooting one day of it. Doesn't necessarily say that. Yes, oh, it, well, that answers the question. It's called homeschooled. That's the answer for. There we go. There we go. We have our answer. Okay. okay. All right. From this point forward, Spider-Man homeschooled. Okay. But at the same time, five months of shooting in Fayetteville, Georgia, or around, and this is even accounting that footage that was shot up in Sunnyside, Queens, in early October. Big, big shoot. But what's weird, even at this point, they're bringing additional cast members on? I mean, did you see where Arian Moed from uh, HBO's drama Succession just got, by, got hired to play a detective in this movie? That's awesome. I like yeah. him as an actor. He, he was great in Succession and, uh, yeah, totally welcome to join the Spider-Man world. Apparently, because they, they're just filming and filming and filming, and it, from what I've heard, it's going to be a choose-your-own-adventure. You can get halfway <laughs> through the movie, it's going to stop, and they go, what do you think happens next? And then they're going to rush outside and... String, string up Tom Holland and go, swing, kids, swing. They're waiting. And then they'll bring it back in and go, what do you think of this? Is this a good ending, guys? You see, and after COVID, that would get me back into it. But, but again, remember, Spider-Man homeschooled, homeschooled doesn't arrive in theaters to December 17th. Now, six weeks ahead of that, we're supposed to get uh, Marvel's Eternals, which is as a November 5th. Uh, release date. And this past week, uh, because her most recent film, Nomad Land, uh, debuted on Hulu uh, this past Friday, February 19th, Chloe Zhao, the director of Eternals, has been out doing press. And of course, as people are asking about Nomad Land, they also bring up Eternals. And she got asked about the action scenes in Eternals. And she mentioned that to sort of help determine the style and the composition of these action scenes. She made the production team watch over and over The Revenant. You remember that? The, the, Does a bear it? fight the, in the woods? Yes, yes. Okay. Sorry, it did work. Leonardo DiCaprio gets mauled by a grizzly bear. Sure. From December 15th. And in fact, here's her explanation as to why they did that. It's like most of her action scenes are shot on location. And I love how immersive the action sequences in The Revenant were. Uh, it's definitely a film that inspired us, and Marvel really, really supported us on idea and really went for it. But she talked about how whenever they were having a production meeting, whenever they were had an issue with, well, how do we stage a scene? How do we make this look? It's like, put it in the Revenant again. And it's like, I can't ask, Aaron, what's your limit for watching Leonardo DiCaprio get mauled by a grizzly bear? Oh, no, there's no limit. That's just joyous material. I put that on my holiday cards that I send out every year. Merry Christmas. Here's Leo getting mauled by a bear. You don't you don't find joy in that? No. Uh, I well, I actually live in the woods. You know, it's like last year, 
We've had bird feeder. You come out in the morning and it's just sort of like, where's the bird feeder? And it's like, well, here it is with giant teeth marks in it. And it's like, we have actual bears, you know? So, so <laughs> when I see Leonardo DiCaprio getting mauled by a grizzly, it's like, it's not an exciting action sequence. <laughs> it's potentially Tuesday. Yeah. That's, you that's know? going out to get the groceries out of the truck. And then, oh my God, bear. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I kid a, about putting it on our Christmas cards. We have something a touch more tasteful of a different person getting mauled by a bear. But anyway. Oh, well, uh, there we go. No, no, actually, a polar bear, right? Because yeah, again, no. Christmas. There we go. All right. I really do like Leonardo DiCaprio. It's just a very poorly made joke. But uh, what I, I would like to say about I enjoyed the, it. Yeah, so. no, but in all seriousness, in mm-hmm. uh, the olden days of the MCU, mm-hmm. Captain America was a World War II painted picture. And mm-hmm. Ant-Man was a heist film. And uh, so I, I do like the fact that they're willing to poke into different realms of cinema to look for their inspiration for certain things in movies. And if they decide that they want to go with uh, Bear Mullen, uh Revenant as, as a thing that really struck them as, I mean, obviously they're not going to use a bear in the winter you know, doing that, it's the look mm-hmm. of the scene, the graphic, oh, no, no, no. you know, no. the severity of something. It has repercussions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different ways that that could be interpreted for another movie as mm-hmm. as inspiration. As a matter of fact, we're going to take a look at some music a little bit later on in the episode oh, yes. where yeah. we mm-hmm. exa- it's you can you don't have to use the exact same notes to tip mm-hmm. your hat in honor of a, another piece of music. So, yeah, we're going to look at another piece of inspiration later on. But I like that, that they mm-hmm. do look, that Marvel looks around at, at different places, whether it be television or film or music, to look for inspiration to bring into the MCU. That's fantastic. So, no, uh, thumbs up until we see it, until we can actually see what it is and judge it. I'm all on board for whatever they got. Okay. No, that's, that's an excellent observation. You know, thanks for pointing that out. We go now from from movies that have been shot, Marvel movies that have been shot, to movies that are being shot, which uh, we have Thor, Love and Thunder, now in production at Fox Studios in Sydney, Australia. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with the comic book series that uh, Love and Thunder is based on, the idea is that Thor, uh, Odin's son, becomes unworthy for some reason and can no longer wield, and again, I want to say meow, meow, and it's wrong. (laughs) Well, that's what Darcy called it in, in Dark World, and I thought that was the funniest thing to call it because she could never remember the name of Mjolnir either. There we go, Mjolnir. Okay, but Jane Foster is actually able to wield uh, Mjolnir, and, and that's how she is then able to trans, uh, transform into the mighty Thor. But here's the thing. Just recently, I don't entirely understand why this has become something I do, but every so often I, I feel myself in need of entertainment and I will jump to the the end scene in Endgame, uh, you know, where first you have that amazing battle with Thor and Captain America and Iron Man and mm-hmm. then, you know, against Thanos and then you have the brawl with everyone. In the earlier part of that battle, Captain America is able to wield Mjolnir, but he doesn't transform into Thor. He stays Captain America. You know, he's able to create lightning. Mm. So what is this? This is different rules at play, or am I just being a ridiculous nerd? What? Yeah, I mean, if we always use the comic book, it's the inspiration, the source material. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So it's usually the most obvious thing in the world to do is, well, what would they do in the comic book? And obviously mm-hmm. that's what they're going to do in the cinematic version. And that's not always the case. And I think that just because Jane is able to wield Mjolnir doesn't mean that she's going to get a costume change as soon as she picks up the hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, she may be able to lift it. She may be able to cast lightning. She may be able to throw it, maybe even twirl it and throw it up in the mm-hmm. air and fly like Thor did. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that she's going to get a armor plated bustier in the process. I, th- I think, you know, because they may, they didn't, they tried to steer away from the same mistake with Wanda's costume. Mm-hmm. The red costume that we saw during the Halloween version was Mm -hmm. something that they very much tried to steer away from because humans don't dress like that. Mm -hmm. And so for a Halloween gag, sure, they can, you know, point and and make a nod to it there without it seeming odd. But Mm -hmm. I don't expect Jane to get armor at all. And I don't Mm -hmm. expect her to change her look or her outfit. I just expect her to be able to lift and use a hammer that no one else can. Hmm. And that now the question is, why has Thor become unworthy? Was he looking at naughty pictures? What, I mean, what did he do where he <laughs> lost his ability to pick up the hammer? Because even in Endgame, when he was a heavier, chunkier Thor and he had mm-hmm. self-doubt, mm-hmm. and then the, he called the hammer to him when he was with his mother, reunited for that moment, and he was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm still worthy when the hammer came to it. He didn't even know then if he was worthy himself. So I want to know that what happens in Love and Thunder that he truly is no longer worthy to lift that hammer. I mean, it, that's where he started off in Thor 1 is he wasn't worthy to lift the hammer. That's that's true. And that's so true. it's like he, he grew to be mm-hmm. able to wield it. So he's either got to have a heck of a fall mm-hmm. or we go through another stupid, I renounce my powers a la Superman to Spider-Man to any other movie that has a two in it where the freaking hero decides after one movie that they can't do it anymore. Cause their love might be put in danger. Uh, I spit on that concept. <laughs> puh, puh, puh. I spit on it, Jim. Puh. <laughs> okay, someone noticed uh, Mr. Watiti. Aaron is spitting on the concept, so you know, maybe need. I don't. I don't think they'll change. do that. I hope they don't do that. But yeah, I mean, what, what's what's what makes Thor lose his power, and uh, why is Jane all of a sudden deemed worthy? Because we don't know of too many humans that are pure as the driven snow, that are uh, of of that type of cut of that cloth. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to to wait to 2022 to find out. I guess so. And speaking of things, we may have to wait quite a while to find out. I, I don't know if you saw the, the story that, the, or excuse me, the rumor that began to circulate last week about how uh, Jennifer Lawrence had supposedly been cast as Sue Storm and Marvel immediately pushed back against this. Thank you for doing that, Marvel. We don't need that rumor living any longer than it needs to. <laughs> But the weird thing is they, they even went further than that, Aaron. They, they've reached out to Justin Kroll, who writes for Deadline, and he was given a message to pass along to the entertainment press this past Friday, which is said that, look, all I'm going to say is Marvel has just started meeting with writers on Fantastic Four. There is no script, and it will be a while before this movie starts shooting. Um, and it's honestly, these days, it, it's kind of rare to get that literal, this is what's going on. Hey, we're still getting casting news while Spider-Man is currently filming. This is true. This is true. But here's the thing. What makes me crazy is that you'll get a story like the Jennifer Lawrence thing that'll begin to circulate. And it's like, well, where did that come from? 
it's kind of like just this past week, stories began to circulate about how on the heels of Netflix canceling Punisher and Jessica Jones back in February of 2019, because two years have now passed, the rights to those characters have reverted back to Marvel Studios. In fact, I think back in November when supposedly that was the two-year anniversary of Daredevil, I interest in Luke Cage getting canceled. So it's like, mm. okay, so those rights have gone back. But it's here's the thing, whenever I talk with anybody at Marvel about this, it's like, so can you confirm that? And basically their response is like, yeah, I heard that too. I wonder if it's true. I hate to say this, but I kind of lump this in with how supposedly Universal Pictures has given up its rights to the Incredible Hulk and Namor, the Submariner, mm -hmm. and that supposedly those rights have finally returned to Marvel Studios. And But it's just sort of like, if they have, they're being really tight to the vest about that. Well, I truly believe that they've got enough on the plate already that they are an overflowing smorgasbord of shows and, and movies very soon because I just glanced at like the calendar for 2021 and truly almost every single week of the rest of 2021, there is new MCU content of some sort. Uh, well, I, the exception is the Marvel. What if isn't quite MCU, but yeah, beyond that, there's new Marvel content every stinking week. If it's not on Disney plus it's in a theater. And then mm -hmm. if it's not a show, it's the making of that thing that you just watched the week before. Okay. So they've got, those jumbo jets that you keep referring to are stacked, Jim, mm -hmm. and they've all got landing orders to come down, which also is why I've suddenly come to the realization that Black mm -hmm. Widow cannot be moved. She is the mm -hmm. unsinkable Molly Brown at this point mm -hmm. because COVID or not, they got no place to put that girl on the mm -hmm. calendar right now. It is locked mm -hmm. solid. I don't know if you saw the the stuff with Fauci over the weekend where you know, he's talking about, you know, yes, we have the vaccine and yes, by this summer it will be available, but we'll still probably be in a situation where people are wearing masks well into 2022. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of the streaming stuff will do Disney very, very well uh, mm -hmm. all throughout this year. And they that will be the only thing to buoy their spirits as they're films their theatrical stuff goes down a drain unceremoniously it's so interesting you say that because just today i was reading a story um about you know because again disney had just recently posted its first quarter earnings i think at this point uh, disney plus has 94 million subscribers which you know puts them within inches of their five-year goal of a million subscribers but that was supposed to be you know, achieved in five years, and they've done it in 15 months. More interestingly was the talk about how because Disney had Disney+, Plus, there's been this weird shift in the way people are covering Disney, that they're no, no longer covering them like they're a legacy media company, a, a movie studio you know, with theme parks or that sort of thing. Mm. They largely talk about Disney as if it's a tech company. You know, huh. that, because again, they, they just like Apple, you know, and Apple has Apple TV plus Disney has Disney plus. And so it's just sort of like they've managed to reinvent themselves during this period of the pandemic. And it just, it's, you know, the fact that they pulled off this hat trick that they, they managed, everybody else is like, you're a television company or a movie company. It's like, no, Disney's a tech company. 
You know, the thing that I'm most surprised by nowadays is that it's mm-hmm. taken this darn long. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the 90s of mm-hmm. the 1900s, just so we're clear <laughs> on what I'm talking about when I say there the 90s. Uh, back, and <laughs> Back when you used those paper calendars. But please, go on. Yeah. Talk about the olden days. So. Uh, so we had the internet, and I remember that the radio station general manager at that point was like, this is a flash in the pan. We are not going to be putting our radio station on the internet. How stupid of an idea. And us youngins mm-hmm. were like, no, the internet's cool. It's like the Wild West. Imagine all that we could do on the internet that you can't do on the radio and plus mm-hmm. it's worldwide. I mean, you know, we, we open up our our signal from whatever our, our stick could put out to the whole mm-hmm. world. That, that's fabulous. They're like, nah, it's a bunch of hogwash and you got to pay a bunch of money for the licensing of the music and we already pay enough money and we're not going to do it. And they just could not find any benefit at all. Now, every radio station on the planet's got a web presence. Mm-hmm. And, but it took like 20 years for them to see that there was a, a way to make money off of it. And I'm really, really surprised. The only thing that was really hindering video service was our web speed. And now that just about everybody in America that lives, you know, not in the rural country out in, you know, I mean, I know that you live out in the woods, Jim, so a a fast Mm -hmm. internet may not be as easy for you to come by as it is for someone who's in a city. But once you got blazing fast internet speeds, you can stream anything in the world and and, uh, you're fine. So I'm, I'm really actually surprised that it took all these years for Disney to go, hey, you think we could make money off of our own content that we've got sitting in this vault that we only release on VHS and DVD once every 10 or 15 years? I mean, it was a good gig while it Mm -hmm. lasted, but you watch the demise of the record industry because they were too late and unwilling to change their business model. And then Napster came and kicked their legs out from underneath them. And, and then they had to figure out a whole new thing. It's like, and, and the video guys didn't see that happen to the audio guys and go, hmm, wonder if that could happen to us, you think? Right? They should have been on this shit a long time ago. But yeah. anyway, well, I'll, I'll digress from that point and just say I'm glad they're finally here now. That's a weird thing. I am still an old media guy. I mean, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is I get offered books on Kindle all the time, but I'm a, you know, a paper guy. And in fact, holding my hands here, a book I just got, uh, True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee by Abram Reisman. And when Aaron and I get back from uh, this commercial break, we'll talk about why, even though this book made me profoundly sad, I still highly recommend it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Have you heard about this book, uh, Aaron? I did, uh, and I d- it's I, I just couldn't. I know that it gets sad in the, in the later parts of Stan's life, and it's just yeah. one of those things where I don't want to have to uh, have that bit of knowledge in my head for, mm-hmm. for Stan. I want to have the rosy, rose-colored glasses to view through. No, 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 I get, I get that. And, and it's not all sad. In fact, there had been previously... 
Stan Lee and the Rise and Fall of the American Comic Book by Jordan Raphael. That's uh, Chicago Review Press released that 20 years ago in 2003. This was just during the period where they were starting to have the open public discussions about what Jack Kirby's role was at Marvel and how Stan hadn't necessarily been as forthcoming about that as perhaps he should have been. That story stops in 2003, whereas... True Believer takes us all the way through from that period up until we lost Stan a a year or so back. And it's not all a sad story, because remember, during this period, Stan Lee became as famous, if not more famous, than he'd ever been, thanks to the cameos in the MCU. And he lived long enough to see the company and the characters that he helped create enter the white-hot center of pop culture. But that said, Mr. Reisman doesn't pull any punches. I mean, he he goes into the whole elder abuse thing and is pretty straightforward about Stan's rather complicated relationship with his daughter, J.C., and how perhaps she wasn't as kind to her dad as she could have been. But it's still, it's it's amazingly well-researched. It's a fascinating read. But again, it does end sadly. In fact, it, it reminds me a lot of Dave Itzkoff's uh, Robin Williams biography back in 2018. I make the parallel between Robin Williams and Stan Lee as he were two men who entertained me for years, who brought me great joy, and whose stories didn't necessarily end the way you wanted them to. Mm. I think in both cases, I I wanted a happier ending for Rob Williams, and I certainly wanted a happier ending for Stan. The the people who surrounded him at the end and were taking advantage of him financially, uh, you know, uh, know, there's a special circle in hell for folks like that. But if you want to learn more about the modern era of, of Marvel history, mind you, this goes all the way back to the beginning, and it's well worth chasing down. But again, a true believer, the rise and fall of Stanley. While we're talking about sad, WandaVision. Now really starting to get into the feels, don't you think? I have a lot of conflicting feels. Okay. I do get up every morning at 4 a.m. And when mm-hmm. WandaVision is there on Friday, I'm very excited. I, get, mm-hmm. I have the feeling of excitement. I have the feeling of anticipation the night before. And then the credits roll and I have the feeling of my fist is shaking. Why is my fist shaking? <laughs> Urgh, Hulk angry. Why am my skin turned green? <laughs> really? Okay. E- even now, even even now, with you know, particularly you know, we're seven episodes in at this point. Yeah. No. And and here's the thing. It's it's not all bad. I'm not I'm not against the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe in the entertainment business. Leave them wanting more is a true thing that. If you were completely satisfied at the end of the episode, you don't need the next episode. Mm-hmm. But if you're left wanting more, oh, what was that thing about? Damn you guys. Uh, and then we talk about it for a week and we speculate. And then we get mm-hmm. up at four o'clock in the morning so we can watch it. And I've seen people on Twitter talking about how they're adjusting their schedule, getting up early just so they don't get spoiled by online comments from friends who just can't wait to blurt out what happened when they watched it at four o'clock in the morning. 
So, yeah, I mean, I do go through a lot of emotions, but the leave them wanting more, they've been doing that very well. And I, mm-hmm. I also believe that they've only need one gag per episode to get people hooked and wanting more for the next episode. Oh, what did that mean? So uh, it's working. You and I have talked about this when we've been talking about WandaVision on earlier shows that wondering who Agnes was, mm-hmm. you know, that the, and I, I think very early on, you sort of underlined, circled and indented that based on the cameo and that sort of thing, that this is probably Agatha Harkness. I mean, Agnes and Agatha are just, there's not that many names that start with ag. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I mean, okay. If, if you're going to try and fool me, then, you know, and, and that's as far as you're going to go. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact, again, that they lean so heavily into the sitcom world, you know, that Agnes is, do what, Agnes Kravitz uh, from Bewitched, you know, the, the, sure. the annoying yeah. neighbor across the way. So I get that they did that, but. Well, they only used, was it Betty? Not Betty Jo. Uh, from the first episode. From, yes. Yes. Uh, from the, the, the 70s show. Yes. Yeah. She was only in the in the one episode. And they've had some, you know, big people, big mm-hmm. big named actors that you recognize their faces show up mm-hmm. and, and do a thing. But she's consistent. Ag- Agnes or Agatha has mm-hmm. almost always kind of been there somehow. Mm-hmm. And there's still that blonde girl that from the second episode that. I thought should be referenced again because she she seemed like she was supposed to be someone of importance to the show. And then she just kind of vanished and went away. Mm -hmm. But Agatha was always there. And I got a question about this. When we get to it was Agatha all along Mm -hmm. and it shows her in the director's chair when she was interviewing Wanda. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. That was a guy's voice that asked the question to Wanda. And she goes, you're not supposed to ask questions or you're not supposed to talk to me. And then they change it and they say it was Agatha all along. And it's like, well, who was the male voice then? Mm-hmm. Was that Agatha just spitting out a male voice? What, what's that all about? Or well, is there someone else in the background? Okay. Let's talk about what you just posted on Twitter. Yeah. So I had to ask at least, you know, is it just me? Am I crazy? Or does anyone else believe that? Is it really just Agatha all along or is there someone else in the shadows? And right now, 85% of this very small poll is uh, saying there's more baddies to be revealed. And there's only a couple people that say, no, it's just Agatha. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are still under the impression that that there's going to be another baddie. And I mean, really, every single episode has also had a little Twitter hashtag come up with Mephisto. Why mm-hmm. is this Mephisto? Is that Mephisto? Is that fly on the wall, Mephisto? Which it actually could be. Um, but yeah, everything has always got a, a Mephisto out there, and it's never been. So what's mm-hmm. the deal? Is this Mephisto thing just something that we all as a collective made up and keep pushing like some non-existent crack that nobody can smoke? <laughs> just what the hell? Or is it the worst kept secret in the history of Marvel shows? I have to admit... I wasn't necessarily a fan of the first three episodes because, again, I'm a, I'm a student of, you know, early sitcoms. And it was one of these things where it's like, you know, that, that yes, they got the look right, they got the clothes right, they got the design right, but they were, just weren't funny. 
But for me, what's been enjoyable watching the craft of the show is we, we get into the, the latter episodes. And for example, what you were just talking about, our seventh episode, this was clearly a nod to Modern Family, you know, the, the whole off-camera documentary, whereas the episode that came before that, that was really more of a, a tribute to, what, Malcolm in the Middle Mm -hmm. uh, and the episode before that, I think you and I talked about how that was really facts of life by way of Full House. They get the look, they get the clothes. And at this point, I have to admit, I'm, I'm more involved in the story, though. Do you, do you want to show off your piece of homework that you, that you <laughs> did about, you know, the Agatha All Along theme song? We were talking about tipping your hat to another piece of material. And mm -hmm. in this case, it was the Munsters loud and clear and we're going to play the first clip is going to be from the Munsters and we'll hear Herman Munster breaking through the door of the front door of the house in the opening credits but I'm going to point out there's a couple things that we should be listening for there's the deeper brass you know like mm -hmm. the um oh not tubas maybe some some baritones or whatever some uh but they're the bigger brass is doing the boom boom and you've also got this Beach Boise kind of jangly guitar. And then you've also got this very snappy, also kind of Beach Boise sounding drum kit in this uh, music here from the Munsters theme song. And now we go to the WandaVision, and again, they're not using the same notes at all, but they are using the same instrumental voices. They've got another deep brass womp type sound underpinning the, the whole thing, carrying it forward. And you've got another bright, jangly, kind of Beach Boysy sounding guitar. And then a little bit later on in the music, the those snappy drums start coming back in. The tempo's a little bit different, and the notes are obviously different. But when you put the two side by side like this, they sound incredibly similar. And so that's just one of those ways where you can look at a piece of material and pay homage to it without exactly copying something. No, that that's it exactly. You're you're right about the homage. Yeah, you've you've put on your diving suit and got your flippers on for uh, all the deep dive you want to do on the visual style. Where do we start with with the visual look of episode one? Where did they get that from? You've got Elizabeth. Basically, got that June Cleaver, Lucy at home thing, but they're in the Dick Van Dyke set. You know, mm -hmm. in fact, the hassock that Dick Van Dyke trips over in the episode or, or sure. dances around, they actually have vision transitioned through at one. I mean, again, you know, first episode, obviously, uh, Dick Van Dyke. Interesting moment, though, in the second episode, starts off with that scene where, you know, they, they're hearing the noise outside the house and they start off in. Laura and and Rob's separate beds because again remember this was during the era of television when husband and wife couldn't be in the same bed together mm. but what's fascinating is by the end of that scene their bed has come together and in a weird sort of way this is an homage to Bewitched because Samantha Stevens and Darren Stevens were the first couple in the history of television married couple to sleep in the same bed together and then what's funny is they go straight out of that scene into clearly a, an opening 
animated opening that's an homage, as you mentioned, yeah. to Bewitched. And then from there, episode three, it's the Brady Bunch. In fact, what's fascinating for me is the giveaway that it's the Brady Bunch is the fact that when they did the scene of looking out into the backyard or when Vision's out in the front yard dealing with Agnes and the next door neighbor, it's an outdoor setting that's clearly on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. And that's the Brady's. That that's you know how it was shot back in the day, and of course, episode four is our outside Jimmy Woo and Darcy and the bunch here in the real world. I do like how they transition from TV ratio to cinematic ratio to help yes, you know indicate yes. here you're in inside the hex, here you're outside mm-hmm. of the hex. I, I do mm-hmm. love that visual cinematic language being used so well to mm-hmm. communicate time and place. No, no, they they have done a, a, a brilliant job. You've got both I Love Lucy in, in look and vibe next to Dick Van Dyke in setting and and different pieces. This is, I think, part of the brilliance of it is they're not just copying one set. They're copying, you know, two different sets and they're taking the music from a different TV show and they're taking like the opening when they have the painting of mm-hmm. family ties um, but they're also doing the thing to uh, Full House in that opening yes, credit. Yes, yeah. When you put it all together, when you use all of the memories of that entire decade, it's really toying with your entire memories. Like we remember those decades as a, like a whole now. True. And, and I think that by going by decade, instead of by show specifically, but by, by going by decade, mm-hmm. they're able to to really... You didn't have to see all the shows. You just had to see one or two of them to to get it, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think that's part of that brilliance of let's just pay homage to everything by putting it all in there like a tasty gumbo. Use all the ingredients and and someone will go, oh, I've, I've tasted that before. That's delicious. The other thing, and I, I, I want this acknowledged because, again, you know, I was the first to say that the, the writing of the sitcom stuff was was fairly lazy, fairly lame. And but you know, starting with again our our episode four with uh, we interrupt this program. I mean, there's I think I've already talked about this. I love that moment where Darcy's riding in with the carload of of sword, you know, and then folks, and and then determines there's so many different disciplines in the in the truck with her. It's like wow, we're a f- full clown car, and then. You know, the lovely bit of connected tissue from that moment to when the hex pushes out and consumes the sword site. Sure. And it becomes a circus. You know, in fact, you know, all, you know, how many of the agents, you know, the sword agents then become clowns? And it's like, I, you know, that was a fun bit of writing. Though that said, um, if, you know, we buy into what Tiona Harris or Paris is saying, and she's already done interviews about what lies ahead you know, these next two episodes and, you know, we, we still have Paul Bettany talk, you know, whatever this actor is that he's always wanted to work with, that he's never worked with before. We still have that to be revealed, but also Tiona talking about the path ahead, you know, the warning that the end of this limited series will be epic and incredibly sad. Mm. So, you know, we need to be ready for that. I, I think she means uh, translation, Wanda going to be traumatized, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this. And again, I, 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 half the, the, the reason I'm enjoying it as much as I am is I have no idea where we're going from, from this point forward. Yeah. Know, for uh, me as well, I think if, if they don't stick the landing, there's going to be some mm-hmm. splaining to do. 
to borrow yeah. from well, Lucy's old show. Excellent point. Excellent point. Well, you know, it right now they're they're doing well, but if they let us down in the next two episodes, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's going to be a touch of goodwill lost to Marvel mm-hmm. because the fans have been very loyal and rightfully so. We've never gotten a real dud. We've gotten some that movies that we didn't like as much as others, but they've never been full garbage. You know, they're, it's not like we're littered with a bunch of Howard the Ducks running around. So they seem confident enough at this point. Um, did you see, you know, the, uh, the assembled show that they, they, they're promoting. In fact, I think it, it drops the Friday after Wanda ends it. WandaVision ends its run where it's, mm. It takes you behind the scenes on, you know, how WandaVision was pulled together. Yeah, and they're going to be um, doing that for all of the the calendar uh, that I sent you is really color-coded with large blocks of very bright <laughs> colors of here's where Hawkeye is going to go and here's where Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to be. And there's like a one-week gap between everything, either cinematic or uh, Disney Plus show. Yeah. And in those white gaps are those assembled shows supposedly that are Mm going to be oh well if you just watch the movie that was you know black widow when that comes out the next week Mm -hmm. will be black widow assembled and then the next week is when the next series starts which i think would be what if and then after what if wraps up they'll have a here's how we made what if and then next week starts whatever loki and so the calendar is completely packed for the rest of the year with new marvel content and i'm very very excited for it uh, win, well. win, lose, or draw. Well. I, yeah, I can't wait to see what's in store. Until then, folks, Aaron and I aren't, aren't scheduled to do a, another Marvelous for, for two weeks yet, and those are the two weeks that this show ends. So Yeah, so we'll have a whole lot to unpack in two weeks from now. It'll be like one of the old double-size issues of the old days. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we go. all right. Back in the legacy media days. Yep. All right. Well, we'll tell you what. If you're looking for stuff to do while while we're waiting to you know, load up those shows, we have an especially special one coming up uh, later this week. In fact, Aaron, do you, do you want to uh, talk at all about the the American Adventure show that you and Len did? Because that's Yeah, I would actually love to take an entire hour to talk about how wonderful of a time I had doing that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll have to do a behind the scenes thing. That's an exit. We should do an American Adventure assembled on that. Yeah, it's really weird because there's like this sailing sequence that I know that you listen to, Jim, but that went through a bunch of different permutations of here's different rain, here's different waves, here's different lightning, and it just kept morphing and morphing and morphing until it became what it is. And it's just little things like that gave me great joy of uh, we got a script and it was something that Disney was going to have produced in a thing, maybe. Well, it was a rough draft, you know, Mm -hmm. and we were putting together this with professional actors and uh, licensed music and the whole nine yards, and it came together quite beautifully. And there are these little segments where Len would say, uh, can you make a Civil War scene where you know cannons and gunfire and people die? And I went, yeah, absolutely. And then I got to go paint with sound and uh, make things that, uh, out of imagination. And it was glorious. So I really cannot wait. Super happy to be a part of it and can't wait to have the listeners consume it and say yeah. if they would like to have more of that. Cause I think it's a very, very special episode that no, no, you no. can't Absolutely. get anywhere else in the world. No. And that this is, 
the American Adventure, circa 1978, folks. You know, the the I don't want to say it's the original script. I think it's a redraft of the original script. But yep. nobody's ever heard this before. And you, Aaron, did an amazing job, as did Len. I just cannot say enough nice things about this. Uh, but yeah, we've got that dropping on Friday. But we uh, also have, you know, for example, uh, the the standard Disney dish uh, that I do with Len. Likewise, fine tuning with Drew Taylor. We also have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. Got to get a new one of those going. And we're going to start doing some new looking at Lucasfilm with guest hosts that I hopefully folks will enjoy. And even going to be talking about new Disney merch with uh, Michelle Valladolid with I Want That. But I'll tell you what, folks, if you could do Enter and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review this show, uh, Marvelous Disney, it would be very helpful if you... Uh, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that is the only way to get the American Adventure. There we go. That that's it's another reason why you want to subscribe because that that's it's that's a, a subscriber only. Social media wise, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And we'll meet back here in two weeks. And I guess, as Aaron put it, we'll talk about whether or not Wandavision stuck the landing. <laughs>